This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. It is officially football season. Here as we dive into another edition of Play by Play Cast. Welcome back in. Thanks as always for hitting subscribe or download. My name is Joel Godet, the television and radio play by play voice at Ball State University, where we are officially one game in to the college football season. As I record this intro, too, by the way, uh, the NFL is happening, but I can't watch it. Uh, I, apparently, I, I was unaware. Uh, maybe this is an indictment of NBC. Uh, when, when I go to NBC right now, I get a message that says the owner of this channel has removed it from Uverse and its lineup, despite our request to keep it available. So I, I guess there's an NBC Uverse dispute, at least in Indianapolis right now. I'm out of the loop on that, but uh, that's what happened when I tried to watch NFL football tonight. So I, I think. There's a game going on. Tom Brady's my fantasy quarterback, so um, you know, as I'm very professionally doing this, uh, we will scroll through and see exactly, eh, you know, what's going on. Oh, oh no! Wow, how about it, Kansas City Chiefs? Well, that's unfortunate if you had the Patriots defense in your fantasy league. Anyway, so the NFL season is officially underway, and uh, college football season is also officially underway. And that was uh, a blast and a heartbreaker to call if you're a Ball State fan last week, and if you're a Texas A&M fan last week. A lot of really good games. A lot of really good games last week. The Cardinals went to Illinois and lost 24-21 on a field goal to tie it, blocked at the horn, and led the game, which would have been Ball State's sixth win all-time against a Power 5 team, or a BCS team, because South Florida's not Power 5 anymore, technically speaking. Um, But it just wasn't meant to be at the end. uh, The Cards gave up a punt return, then had a missed tackle on a big play, and uh, that led to a touchdown that uh, let as far as Illinois fans are concerned, kind of avoid disaster. It was a good exercise, though, early in the season of kind of remaining calm in those big moments. Uh, you know, Joe Davis, who's a friend of the pod and, and uh, was in a pretty large spotlight a couple of weeks ago when Rich Hill nearly threw a perfect game um, and a no-hitter for for the Los Angeles Dodgers, um, and, and then it shut out and and then nothing Uh, a couple of weeks ago joe davis tweeted about what that moment was like for him as a broadcaster and basically the advice that vin scully had given him that you know the bigger the moment the calmer you have to remain while ball state football was not pitching a no hitter uh, i could kind of feel myself in the last eight minutes of that game start to go scatterbrained a little bit just in terms of all of the different places my head wanted to be and to make sure that I had all kind of my uh, cards in, in in a row and house in order uh, in case Ball State pulled this thing off and I had all of my history ordered. Um, and of course, as it comes down to it, 
you know, things started to get a little bit more tense. Cards went three and out a couple of times. You could feel Illinois starting to push a little bit and gain some momentum. So you kind of feel that tide starting to turn. So it was a good exercise early in the season of, as the moment got bigger, trying to remain calm. And there were some spots I thought I handled it well. There were some spots I thought I didn't. Uh, but for, for game one of the college football season, was what it was, and uh, a tough one to uh, to call uh, outcome-wise, but a fun one to call and, and a good one to, to get exposed to here early in the season. So uh, one under my belt and uh, UAB coming up, which is a whole other challenge on Saturday. We go from having to call a game like that against Illinois to like the ultimate storytellers game with Alabama-Birmingham coming back from shutting down their program, played for the first time in a 1,000 days last week. Uh, when they beat Alabama A&M, so kind of all of those nuggets and things that will be an interesting uh, challenge to weave in, particularly early in the game, uh, coming up tomorrow, if you're listening to this on time. Uh, let's dive into our guest for today, though, and it ties in directly uh, to last week's Ball State football game against Illinois, because as I called it on radio, he called it on television. Chris Denary is the longtime television voice of the Indiana Pacers and the Indiana Fever did the Fever job first. We'll get into a little bit of that uh, toward the end of the episode. Former sports director at Fox 59 in Indianapolis. Former radio voice at Butler for nearly 20 years. Uh, he's on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway radio network. So Chris does a lot. Very well known um, throughout Indianapolis. Very well respected. Uh, has been the Indiana Sportscaster of the Year before as well. Uh, de- uh, deservedly so. And then also does a little bit of college football. Does three, four games a year for Big Ten Network. And usually is good luck for a team like Ball State. He did the Ball State upset over upset over Indiana. Uh, one of my first games at Ball State in 2012. And also did a game where Louisiana Tech went and just walloped Illinois and almost did a game where Ball State beat Illinois again. So thought it was good karma when Chris was doing our game uh, last week, but uh, he, he only helped us so much. But uh, while Chris was up in Muncie doing some of his prep and watching Ball State practice and talking to our coaches, uh, we sat down to do a chat both about, uh, well, his approach to doing college football on television and preparation and all of that. We talked kind of about the immediacy of, of what was ahead of us. But, uh, but then we dove in certainly to his time as an NBA TV voice as well, uh, what he thinks makes good basketball on television, all of uh, those questions that we dive into a lot with guys we dive into with Chris Denary this week. So without further ado, let's start. And we'll start with what was immediately in front of him. We'll, we'll talk uh, prep for college football. Because if you've never seen Chris Denary's prep, go find it. He, he, he says he's tweeted it. So you can go back and look through his Twitter feed and find some uh, throughout the course of time. The guy's penmanship is like a font. Uh, it's incredible. So that's that's where we start with Chris Denary of the Indianapolis Pacers right here on Play by Playcast. Can we talk about your charts for a second? Because if people don't know Chris Denary and his chart work, uh, I don't know. Do you tweet these out ever? Are there pictures yeah. of them? Yeah, there, there are pictures. Um, I'll probably t- tweet one out. Um, you know, coming up just to promote the fact that I'm doing Illinois Ball State. Um, but, 
you know, we all have different ways that we do it. This is the way that has worked for me. I've got pretty meticulous writing. So uh, most of mine, as far as football is concerned, are what I would say due to penmanship. When I do the NBA or the Pacers, it's more of it's done on the computer. I have a, a you know framework that I, I use. But, uh, you know, I just want to be as prepared as possible. And this is the way that that, that works for me. How long does this take you? Uh, good question. I've worked on this Illinois Ball State uh, for the last couple of days, so um, you know it's sort of off and on. Um, I to quantify the hours, I'm not even done. Um, I'll um, doctor these up on Friday night in Champaign uh, before the game. Um, so I, I don't know if I've ever really kept track. It's just something that I think is part of the process and part of the process about getting ready for a game. What helps you in terms of being organized? Um and storylines and the way that I do my charts, there's, there is a ton of text. Um, Spees always gets on me because he can't read any of it because it's really tiny. Uh, and for me, anything I learn, I'm putting on that yes. chart so that it's, it's somewhere available and it's fairly in depth. Yeah. Um, you've got, you know, like I'm looking at Mike Dudek and you've got the two time ACL right. tear. Um, does, when you see that, does that just kind of trigger everything else that you know and have heard and talked about from that? Or how else do you kind of organize your thoughts so that, you're ready. Yeah, there, there, there are certain guys like Dudek for Illinois is coming back after two ACL tears, was an outstanding freshman back in 14. There are certain guys that it's easy. Uh, let's be honest. Um, your stars. Um, for me, covering Ball State, Riley Neal, James Gilbert, those are easy. It's the other guys that you're not used to. I don't have the luxury of being here um, at Ball State watching every practice. I don't know in-depth every player, but I but I, I owe that to the people that are going to watch on BTN or Big Ten Network that I know as much as possible. I'm not going to know as much as you as the voice of the Cardinals, but there are certain notes that I need to make to make sure that if that storyline or if that player becomes important to the game that I have information to share uh, to the viewers about him. What's your uh, pregame process like, or, or I guess week process like, um, in terms of Jay Lamon you're working with this week, sitting down with him, uh, sitting down with producers, talking out stories that you've got, they've got, that he's got. Uh, how do you coordinate everything so you're all on the same page and everybody knows what everybody's got? Yeah, one of the things that we'll do, uh, usually on the Wednesday or Thursday before the game, before Saturday's game, we'll have a conference call, and that's with the opposing head coach and the two coordinators. We'll do that, and then after that's over, we'll probably spend the next half hour um, talking over storylines. Uh, I'll ask the producer uh, what he's interested in, what he's looking for. We'll go over the open. We'll go over some of the main points. Uh, then on the Friday before the game, um, I'll be in Champaign uh, meeting with Lovey Smith and his staff. And um, this will be a little bit different because the producer and the director for this week's game, they'll be in Chicago. It'll only be Jay and I and, and all the cameramen and camera women and my stage manager who is at Memorial Stadium in Champaign. So it's a little different. So a lot of the work that you're doing with the producer is over the phone. Uh, normally that happens in person and the producer would be at the Friday meeting with the Illinois coaches. So that makes this a little bit different, but nothing that I haven't done before. Is that the first time you've done it? Where everybody's off-site? No. Um, I did an IU spring game with Jay um, back in April where Jay and I were on-site, producer and director. 
we're in Chicago. I've done a number of Big Ten basketball games where the producer and the director are in Chicago and the talent is on site. So um, I don't think it's ideal uh, as a play-by-play person. I'd rather have that producer alongside. But I will say once the game starts and the, the producer and the director are in your headset, whether they're in the truck or they're miles away in Chicago, it's really no difference. What's different uh, as far as all of that is concerned um, versus when you sit down 82 times or 75 times, whatever the number is, uh, for a Pacers game and uh, are charting out how to make this game different and its own story um, and not just call 82 games but call, you know, 82 episodic games? Yeah, that's a great point. I I think the one thing that you're always doing is a game is a a story within a story. You're focusing on the game that night because from a viewership standpoint – let, let's be honest, people aren't, very few people are going to watch all 82 Pacer games. Some people may, during the course of a week, say, hey, I have this Wednesday night. I want to see the Pacers play the Warriors. I want to see the Pacers play uh, the Cavaliers. I want to see the Pacers play the Heat. If it's the Pacers and the Nets, maybe they're not going to check in. So what you have to do is each game is very important, but it's also a part of the week or the two weeks or the road trip or the homestand. And, and so I look at it like um, you would a television series. Um, a, a television series is on 22, 24 times uh, uh, during the course of a year. And each episode is of itself, but they also have an, uh, a storyline that's running throughout the entire year. I think that's the case of an NBA season, even more so than in college football or college basketball, is the game is important, that night is important, but you also have to treat it where it falls into the context of the season. I'll come back to basketball more in a little bit, but while we're here, I want to hit on it so I don't lose my, my train of thought with it as well. Um, but you mentioned a, like a Brooklyn game. Uh, I distinctly remember last year ball state basketball was playing alabama state at home and i sat down with david my my analyst and we talked about the open he looks at me and goes bro what are we talking about he's like there's gonna be a 50 point blowout and we knew it ahead of time um when you walk into a situation like that how do you paint that picture or what are you looking at or or what and that's where it comes to the different stories within the story uh how do you pull out maybe ahead of time what you think is going to be important when necessarily the game itself or the opponent itself will not be? Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the interesting thing is there's two ways to look at it, and you have to treat it differently whether it's radio or TV. You do both uh, during the course of the year. I am virtually all television now, and television gives you the opportunity if the game gets away, you can go in other ways. You can go other routes. You can talk about the upcoming schedule. Uh, what does this team need to do to continue its win streak? What do they need to do to get off the losing streak? Radio, you don't have any picture, so you have to keep painting the picture of what's happening in that specific game. But I also think you owe it to the viewer. Again, as I said, somebody may be watching this game for the first time this year, the only time that they watch a game. So you owe it to that person uh to, to treat it the same way that you would treat any other game. Um, clearly, there are games that on the calendar, on the schedule, are more exciting, and fans get up for that game. Maybe broadcasters get up for that game. But, but I, I take the tack that that's my job. My job is to entertain and inform the audience each and every night, whether the Pacers are playing the Nets, the Bulls, the Cavaliers, or the Warriors. So um, I I do think you look for storylines to try and sell a particular game. But once you get into the game, especially 
um, in a game that's close in the third or fourth quarter, then the game delivers. Um, if the game is not delivering, then you've got to find other ways to keep that viewer from turning you off. How much do you, when you talk about the fact that this might not be, the, people don't watch every game. This might be the first time they watch or the third time they watch. How much will you rehash things that to you seem obvious about somebody? Uh, Miles Turner, basic fact. Um, game number 17, how important is it to bring it up when you've brought it up game number one? And it's not new to you, but it might be new to somebody else. And how do you keep it fresh? Well, I think you, you do have to keep it fresh. You do have to refresh. I think your your core fan understands that, um, they may be few and far between that there are other people that are enjoying the telecast that don't watch on a regular basis. So uh, I think one of the things that we look at is, is, is how do you attack the audience? I always say that there are about 10 to 20 percent of people that are your, your, your core fan and they are your what I call nerd fan from the standpoint that they want every piece of information you can deliver. They want every bit of analytics that you can deliver. Go to the back end. You have a 20% factor that they're just watching the game because their significant other, uh, their dad, their mom, their brother, their sister, wife, husband, whatever, they're watching the game, and they're just there, um, and they don't understand all of the information that you're giving. And then there's that 60% in the middle that that some go skew toward the top and some skew toward the bottom. So I think that's the hardest, the hardest thing as a team broadcaster in a professional sport when you have so many games is how do you toe that line? How much information do you give? Um, and um, I, I think that's something even at, at my age, uh, 56 years old, in my 12th year in the NBA, my 30th year as a broadcaster, you're, you're constantly fine-tuning is, is how do you deliver that information uh, to the audience because it is such a diverse audience. Is it, is it attacking the same facts in a different way, too, from time to time? I mean, Victor Oladipo is from, yeah. you know, he, he went to IU, he plays for the Pacers now. You're only going to say he's the former Hoosier yeah. so many times, but... Anytime you see Victor, you ask him about this that happened or that that happened, and it leads you down a different path that helps tell the same story. Is that is that a fair way to go about it? I think so, and I think the one thing that you build is you build relationships as a broadcaster during the course of the year, and you may learn something in week four or five of the season that you didn't know back in training camp. And so that helps you maybe tell the story in a different way. Um, I think that's the one thing about being affiliated with a team is that the access that you have to the coaches and the athletes gives you something that the fan doesn't have, gives you something that, let's be honest, as you prepare for Ball State, Illinois, you know far more about Ball State and what they do on the football field than I do. And so that's an advantage that you have. So I think that's a real advantage that you have as a team broadcaster that over the course of the year, you learn more and more about these athletes that you can tell maybe the same story in a different light. Let's talk about football uh, and we'll, we'll come back to the basketball. But while we're on there, I don't want to uh, stray too far from it and, and, and lose it. Um, what's prep like for you this week? Uh, you don't know either team. And you've got to sit down and, and look at two unknowns and, and put it together. Uh, I've never been in that boat because I always know one team, like you talked about. Um, how do you do it? I love it. I mean, I think the one advantage that I have is that I am a fan of sports and I, I'm a fan of college football. So even though I have not done a Ball State game in a few years and those players have changed, 
Um, I have followed what James Gilbert did last year, what Riley Neal, what, what all of these guys do. Um, you know, I was uh, in my 30s or, or so when Mike New was the quarterback here at Ball State. So there's, there's a commonality that I have. I don't feel like I'm just in the dark. Now, I'll be in the dark in a few weeks when I'm doing Indiana Georgia Southern. I know nothing about Georgia Southern. If you ask me right now to name one player from Georgia Southern, I couldn't do it. Um, Ill- on the option. That's all I got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Illinois, um, I've done a number of Illinois games the last few years. Some of the players who played as freshmen are now juniors or seniors. So there, there, there is a familiarity with the program. So that's made this week, I think, a little bit easier. But it's still um, making sure that you get the information from the SID, you have the two deeps, you're building your charts, uh, you're making notes. Um, you're just diving in and getting as much information as possible. One of the interesting stories for me is that Jay Lehman, my analyst, was a linebacker at Illinois, and the only other time that these two teams have played, Jay played for Illinois in a 9-4 and season where they went to the Rose Bowl. And in the last 15 years, it's probably been Illinois' best season. So that will come up during our telecast because I think that's a significant story to tell as Ball State comes into Champaign and as Illinois is trying to rebuild its football program. So for me, it's been um, a number of hours. I've sat at my desk uh, each and every day uh, building my charts. I'll continue to do that. This is Wednesday. Uh, I'll do a little bit more of that on Thursday. I'll do that in my hotel room on Friday night. And uh, as you know, it's an, an early kickoff uh, in Central Time. It's an 11 a.m. kick on on Saturday, so it'll be a very busy morning. What is um, important to you as far as are you more of a story guy or are you more of a strategy guy? How much of that do you leave to your analyst? Uh, and how much do you want to know and be able to talk about intelligently uh, in terms of formationally what Ball State is doing, strategically what they're doing, or is that more you'd rather be the guy that says, Jay, what do you see here and play off of that? I think Jay is Jay is the expert, and, and Jay is the why and how. I'm the who, what, where. I, I think that's the, the, the simplest way to describe a relationship between a play-by-play and an analyst. Um, the, the difference is also on, on radio, you don't have pictures. I have pictures. Let the pictures tell a lot of the story. Um, it should be two guys sitting on a couch enjoying the game with the fans who are watching. Um, So I don't get into a lot of strategy. I try to stay in my lane. Um, I'm going to set the table as far as what the formations look like. Um, uh, You know, we've seen three wide receivers. I know in in, in talking to the people at Ball State now, they're going to use more double tight end sets, look a little bit different than they did a year ago. So part of that will be as the week goes on, especially leading into Friday meeting with Jay. I've worked with Jay a lot. Uh, He does a great job. I'll leave a lot of the analysis to him because that's, that's his lane. How do you call a football game on television? I've never done it. Uh, what's different than calling a basketball game on television? That's a great question. I, I'm, I, even at my age, I still think I learn. I go back and watch my former games. Uh, I, I, I DVR'd a couple of games from this past weekend just to see how guys were calling things. What do you watch for when you do that? Um, I just watch for cadence. Uh, how, how many times are they saying who made the tackle? Um, those types of things. Um, part of it relies on if you have a good spotter. And there have been some places where I've been given a good spotter, and there have been some places where the spotter has been a cheerleader. In the, so, so it's not of, uh, of help. And you know as well as anybody, I mean, football, there are so many numbers, so many players that a good spotter 
uh, is very helpful. Um, I think the one thing you, you want to make sure down in distance, even on television, uh, I think things have changed, Joel, from the standpoint that social media changes the way people watch and follow games. Um, the Big Ten did a study a few years ago, and I think it was 80% of the people watching Big Ten sports, Big Ten football, had a second screen, whether it was a phone or an iPad. So I think a lot of people sometimes aren't paying attention to what they're watching. And, and so I have felt that at times you have to give more information, down, distance, yard line. Um, it's not like television from 20 years ago where your focus was 100% of the time on the screen. Um, so, uh, you know, part of it, the, the biggest thing for me too is pronunciations, numbers, names. Um, you you want to do the basics absolutely 100% right. Are there going to be mistakes made? Yes, but you want to make sure those mistakes aren't the basic ones that would irritate a Ball State fan or an Illinois fan. Something Ian told me uh, a while ago was even though it's on television, you still have to call the game. Yeah. Is that a fair assessment of kind of where that industry has gone? Yeah, I agree. I mean, you, you, I think you have, you have to provide energy. And, and, and I'll say this going to basketball. Um, there are some games where there's not a particular energy in the building. And if you lay out a lot, that's going to come across the screen, right? There's no energy in the building. And so I've told my producer and director, look, I may talk a little bit more than usual. And there are other games, as you know, there's so much energy in the building from a television perspective, you can let the crowd tell the story. But I'm, I'm in agreement with Ian, and I think he is absolutely one of the best. He, he's somebody that has been so good to me as I made the move into the NBA 12 years ago. You still have to call the game. You still have to call the touchdown pass. You still have to call uh, the 70-yard run. Um, you just can't go silent. You need to create that enthusiasm that brings that viewer back to the game that may have gone away to his phone or his iPad. If we go to basketball, is it, you know, it's not that you're laying out. It's just that you're not you're, just, you're dropping details. Is that a way to say it? I mean, you don't you don't say nothing yeah. as the ball's moving around the horn, but maybe it's just yeah. Turner to Johnson to yeah. Jones as opposed to Turner right wing dribbles between yeah. his legs. Yeah, you're you're not having to really say where the ball is, but you're saying the ball in the post, back to the basket. You may you, you you're not talking in complete sentences. I was an English major, <laughs> and I'm sure uh, my high school English teacher would not. Uh, be happy with the way that you're calling a game because very rarely in television are you talking in complete sentences. It's it's phraseology um, because you're not doing radio play-by-play. You're doing television play-by-play. And in some regards, I think can be very difficult because I think one of the things that you do in television play-by-play is you think about, am I talking too much or am I not talking enough? Um, that's something that even to this day, um, I won't watch every game that I do, but I'll want to watch within the last week so I can critique myself. Uh, what word am I using as a crutch? What word is irritating to me? And if it's irritating to me, it might be irritating to the, to the viewer. Um, I think that's very important to, to do that. You don't have to do it all the time, but I still think just like an athlete, um, you you want to watch and listen to what you're saying and doing so that you can continue to get better. Do you watch everything, or do you just kind of fast-forward, get a flavor, kind of get the overall taste of what you did? I mean, the great thing about what I'll do is, uh, as I'm preparing for the next game, um, if I'm in my hotel room on the road, I'll just pull up 
the last game that we did, put it on my iPad, and I'll work and listen and watch. Um, and I think that's been very helpful. Um, I try to use my time um, wisely, and, and so that's what I'll do. I, I mean, sometimes I'll speed through and say, hey, I want to get to the third quarter or the fourth quarter. But that's the easiest way that I have found, especially on the road, is to use that preparation time to prepare for the next game but listen to the last game. Who in the association uh, does good television? Um, you can say yourself, it's okay. Um, and, and, and what separates those guys? What's different about being great? Well, I, I just mentioned Ian Eagle. I think he's outstanding. I mean, he can do he can do everything on either radio or television. I think, to me, that's the sign of a great broadcaster. And I'll listen to Ian do Thursday night football on radio, a basketball game on Friday, a college football game, and then maybe uh, uh, an NFL game on Sunday. I mean, the guy is immensely talented and a big fan uh, of Ian Eagle. I think Mark Followell, who's the play-by-play voice of the Dallas Mavericks, is outstanding. Uh, I-, I love Bowler Jacket, Utah, Mike Breen. I mean, I could go on and on. I think everybody is very good at the NBA level in their own way. I think we're all different. I think that's one of the things that I learned many years ago is that you have to establish your own personality and your own brand. When I was... Um, a college senior and took my first job in radio in Columbus, Indiana, and then morphed to the SID and the radio voice at UIndy football and basketball, I was a big IU fan and listener. And so I listened to Don Fisher all the time. And there were certain things that I would copy from Don. And then I realized, I go, well, that's great, that, but I need to be myself. I need to, to do what I do to the best of my ability. Um, and, and so that's what I've just tried to do. Um, you know, one of the things that I did this summer, I got a call on a Wednesday um, to do the play-by-play for Global Rallycross at Lucas Oil Raceway that was on NBC Sports Network. Glad you said Raceway there because otherwise I had no idea what that was. I had, uh, I had watched Global Rallycross, but I had never done play-by-play. Now I have a background in what? IndyCar. Uh, okay, there, okay, IndyCar. Uh, yeah. I was going to ask if we were motorcycles or no, where we were, were here. These were okay. cars, but these were like VW Beetles and Honda Civics and their five-lap races with a jump on dirt. Um, and I didn't think my Civic was supposed to jump. <laughs> and what had happened was um, Kevin Lee was doing the IndyCar race. Lee Diffie was doing um, F1. And the, the guy who was supposed to come over from England to do this race, he had an illness in the family. And so the producer of our Pacers broadcast is producing GRC. And he called and said, hey, we may need you. Uh, 50-50 chance. NBC, if they need you, is going to call you tomorrow. And we'll see if you can, you know, can you, can you do it? And so I did it. And it was something that I wanted to, again, prove to myself that in a three-day period, I could learn about the sport, learn about the drivers, and do the play-by-play. And I thought it went very well. NBC was happy. But, but those are the things that even at my age, you, you are constantly learning and figuring out about yourself. And you talk about a deep dive, Joel. Um, I mean, that was two days uh, Thursday of Friday of just diving in and, and generating as much information as I could so that I would be prepared on Saturday and Sunday for the telecast. Yeah, how'd you feel? Uh, I feel like that's one of those situations where even if in two days you've done everything you can, you're still going to feel like you forgot your clothes when you walk on yeah. air. I, the, the biggest thing for me was stay in my lane. Again, I had a gentleman by the name of Ricky Johnson, who's a Hall of Fame motocross, uh, supercross rider. 
He's the expert. He's the analyst. So do the basics. Um, who, what, where. Um, I, I think that's the most important thing. Keep it simple. I know that sounds very trite, very simple, but that's the key. I wanted to go in, stay in my lane, do the job as best as I could, and I, I felt very good about it. I, I clearly felt better on Sunday than I did on Saturday. How'd you get into television, um, and how'd you get good at it? Because I know you, you did TV sports before that, and obviously you were at Butler for a very long time on the radio side, but uh, take me through the television path for you. The first game I ever did was uh, 1993, um, Butler IU. I was the radio voice of Butler. Um, now, I had worked in television when I came out of Wabash. I was the first sports director at Channel 59 back in the mid-'80s, and that lasted about a year and a half, and they sold the station, came in one day, and eliminated us all. So I still bounced around um, at freelancing, doing a lot of um, reporting for the, for the TV news. But I had not done TV play-by-play until I did the, the Butler IU game in 1993. And that would continue. I would do about three or four games a year. We had used the package with Indiana to get Butler two or three games a year on Channel 4, which was the voice of IU at that time. Um, I was hired by the Pacers uh, to do the Indiana Fever, and it was going to be radio only. Al Albert was going to do the TV games. I get a call a couple of days before the season. They said, well, Al's decided he's not going to do the games you're going to do both the radio and the TV. I had done one television game prior to that. So it was, uh, you know, a learning process for me, transitioning from radio to TV, getting comfortable with being on camera in a play-by-play situation, being comfortable with how you called the game. Um, And I think that was very important for me. And then it led to being the television voice of the IHSA for a number of years. And I think all of that experience doing the Indiana Fever uh, helped me get the Indiana Pacers job back in 06. You know, it's interesting. Uh, that's that's the path for you. Uh, Brian Seaman, when we had him on the podcast, talked about, I was told I had to get a WNBA job if I wanted to work. You know, that that would be my great envoy into the NBA. Ed Cohen goes yeah. from the Liberty to the Knicks. Yeah. Um, it's like the secret path right now to get a WNBA job and find your way to the NBA. I mean, Alan Horton is the the radio voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves. He was the longtime voice of the Minnesota Lynx. Uh, Matt Devlin, who's the television voice of the Toronto Raptors. I first met him. He was doing the TV for the New York Liberty. So there's no question um, when you get to be a part of the family with the NBA or the WNBA and that particular organization and you prove yourself, Um, A lot of those organizations take that into consideration and hire you. One of the great things for me was uh, the the vice president of broadcasting for Pacer Sports Entertainment is a gentleman by the name of Jamie Burns. And Jamie and I had met back in the the late 80s. He worked at Fox 59. um, And then he, he, for many years, was one of the top three or four people at Channel 59. We kept in touch. Then he took the job with the Pacers. And so... He knew what my work ethic was. He knew, you know, what I aspired to be. And I was very fortunate that when Al Albert in 06 opted to step aside, the call that Jamie made was to me. And so those relationships are so important. And uh, I tell young broadcasters all the time that you need to have talent, you need to have a great work ethic, but you also need to be connected because there are a lot of people out there fighting for positions, for jobs, and five to ten of you could all have the same 
resume, you could have the same talent, but one of you is going to have the connection, and usually that person's going to get the job. How did you get good at television while that was all going on? Uh, when you when you first started doing Ace the Fever consistently, um, what was the biggest struggle for you, and uh, how did you overcome it? Well, I, I think it is how much to talk, how little to talk. I, I, I still think that's the basic thing about television, and I probably watched more of my work back then than I do now. I still watch a significant amount, but I watched all the time, um, and I asked other people to watch, to give me feedback, to let me know. I asked my wife. I mean, I, my wife and I have been married for 33 years. She's been around my entire career. Uh, I think she knows sports, um, and she's a person that comes at it with a little bit different angle. And I asked her, I said, watch. You know, as you watch, give me some feedback. And uh, I think that's what you have to do, and I continue to do it. I, I've never had the perfect telecast. I've never had the perfect broadcast. Uh, um, I, I just want to keep getting better. I want to do this. I, I'm probably closer to the end than I, I know I'm closer to the end than I am to the beginning but I want to keep getting better at it. And so I, I ask people for feedback. And I think the one thing that I, that I had to do though, uh, when I took the Pacers job in 06, and, and things are so different now with social media, is you're not gonna please everybody. Um, not everybody's gonna like your style. Not everybody's gonna like your work. Um, you hope that the majority of the people, more than the majority do, but you can't get all um, up in arms if somebody on Twitter rips you for something. Um, I, you, you are just like an athlete. And uh, I think once, once I thought about that and didn't worry about what somebody said, then, then I was good. What is your style? Describe uh, what you settled on. I think my style is I, I'm just me. Um, I, I think surely I have a broadcasting voice, but I really don't try to punch it. I really don't try to push it. Um, I want people to feel comfortable that I'm in the saddle and that I'm gonna take care of you during a telecast. Uh, I think the one great thing about being the voice of a team is the familiarity that the fan has with you. I love the fact that I'm the TV voice of the Pacers and that people um, enjoy each and every night tuning in. I also enjoy the fact that I can step out and do games on BTN, that for a game like this coming up with Ball State, Illinois, that the Ball State fans are going to tune in. Hey, we know that guy. That's a comfortable voice. I think that's the one thing um, that I hope people appreciate, that I'm prepared, that I'm accurate, um, but, but that, I, that I'm a comfortable listen, that, that, that you don't want to turn me off. I, I think that's the biggest thing. Last subject I want to broach with you. Um, on radio, you are judge, jury, and executioner. Uh, you know, I'm my own engineer. We don't even have that here. Uh, on, I did that for many years, <laughs> absolutely. On television, uh, you are what? Uh, and, and what are you in control of, and, and who do you cede to? Joel, I think the, the one thing I've enjoyed about television is the team atmosphere. You're right. For, for 17 years, I was the voice of Butler. I was the play-by-play -play, uh, person. I coordinated the broadcast. I uh, produced the spots. I produced the log. I engineered the broadcast. Um, and so it was you and the analyst, if you had a scoreboard person, and then the engineer at the station. So you had four. The one thing that I like from a television standpoint, there's probably 25 to 30 people that are involved in the telecast that we are all relying on. 
Quinn Buckner and I on Pacers TV, Jeremiah Johnson, yeah, people know who we are because they see us on camera, but there are so many other people that are as important or more important than, than me. Um, the director who, who gives you the pictures, I, Jamie Burns, again, my boss, is I think one of the best directors in the business. He does a lot of Big Ten games because he's so good. Um, from a control standpoint, uh, the producer is the quarterback. Um, or the head coach, if you will. Maybe I'm the quarterback. But um, the producer maps out the direction of the show with input from the broadcasters. Um, but, but clearly that's what he, in our case, he or she would be in charge of, is, is putting together a telecast, as you said, that people want to watch each and every night. Um, I'm in charge of the preparation. There's no question about that. Now, we have so many more different avenues um, um, you know, game notes, internet, newspapers, all that. It's my job to be as prepared as possible with the names and the numbers. Quinn's going to tell you on television how and why, and our producer is going to take us on the journey. And we participate in that journey, but clearly the producer is the person that puts the show together. How much will you say, I've got this on my mind, if you can get a shot of him, let's do that, or just a heads up, um, next time you show this person, I'm going to go this direction, and how much feedback... Uh, or not necessarily feedback, but how much direction comes toward you in in the same regard going the other way? No question about that. I'll say this, though. Jamie and I have done this for 11 years, going on 12, and we always say we are in sync. I'm thinking about something, I'm going to say it, and boom, there's the picture. Um, he knows me, I know him. I, I think the relationship between talent and director is very important because of the pictures that you're showing on television but there's no question if I have something in my mind leading up to the game I'll make sure I let the producer know and during the game um, I may get back on talk back during a commercial or even during the course of the game if Quinn is talking hey I'd really like to see a shot of this um, clearly it's it's all about teamwork and working to be on the same page for that telecast uh, Chris, if people want to find you, uh, get in touch with you, how do they do it? Uh, Twitter, very easy. I'm always happy, at uh, Chris Denary, C-H-R-I-S-D-E-N-A-R-I. Um, I'm very active on uh, social media, so that's that's really the best way. Uh, look forward to seeing you Saturday. Thanks for, uh, thanks for doing this in the beating hot sun. All right, thanks, Joel. <laughs> Chris Denary, this week's guest here on Play by Playcast. You know, one of the things we got into also that is not – in that conversation you just heard, obviously. Um, and this has happened a couple of times. Every time I do a, a podcast in person, one of these episodes where I actually sit down with somebody and we talk, uh, whenever I stop recording, there is inevitably something that comes up after that that I wish I'd kept recording on. Uh, Denary and his partner, Quinn Buckner, um, on the Pacers, actually got invited to go to Africa this past offseason. It was the second year that he and Quinn had gone to Africa in the offseason and been part of one of these trips that the NBA does, basically global outreach, I guess. Um, and uh, he and Quinn called the game, or I think games, I think maybe game, played in Africa um, that's broadcast on television, uh, on, on the world feed, basically. Um, I believe ESPN... As Chris and I were talking about, it has the U.S. rights, but then there's a world feed also. And uh, you can find on Twitter some of the world feed and NBA.com and all that because um, I remember seeing some highlights tweeted out when it happened. Uh, but it was interesting perspective to hear Chris 
who works in the NBA with some phenomenal producers and directors, talk about going to Africa and broadcasting a game on television. And the production crew was a local sports production crew. It was a company from that continent uh, that produced things. So it was a little bit of a different experience because it wasn't working with the norm of what you're used to, uh, certainly when it comes to American television. Um, and then it, it, it just, you know, it, it's a different level of production because it's not what you're used to seeing every day in the NBA. And if you kind of go look at the highlights on Twitter, you, you get a feel for that. Um, but just kind of a different cultural experience for Denarian professional experience. It was neat kind of hearing his perspective of uh, what it was like going and, and working for uh, a different company and a different environment. Um, and now that I think about it, as I record this, I took a sports on television class in college and we did some comparative analysis of like international broadcasts versus American broadcasts and just kind of how they look, um, and the different ways they're produced in terms of what shots are taken where. And, um, you know, there'll, there'll be some shots where there are like some feathered edges and some overlays, like, I remember we watched international tennis, and there was, like, a feathered edge shot of, like, Rafa Nadal, like, imposed over the sky of the tennis arena or tennis stadium, like, during the national anthem. It was just different. Something you don't see in America. Uh, so, kind of a cool experience. And, and uh, Denary and I talked about that after I hit stop. But uh, if you ever get a chance and, and you bump into Chris Denary and you want to talk to him about what it's like going to, to broadcast, you know, American basketball in in Africa, uh, there's a topic for you as sort of a, an entry, I guess. Uh, that being said, uh, that wraps it up for us on another episode here this week. Hey, as I said, uh, Ball State football plays UAB this week. So uh, our guest next week on the podcast, and I have not recorded this yet, so I'm hopefully I don't ruin this for myself, um, but the voice of the UAB Blazers will be with us um, next week here on the pod. So some interesting perspective as far as what you do for two years when you don't have a football team and you're still a broadcaster. That will all be gotten into next year, next week. Hopefully not next year, next week here on Play-By-Playcast. Until then, we say so uh, so long to you and thanks for clicking subscribe and download and thanks to Kristen Airy as well. And we will talk to you a week from now. This is Play-By-Playcast, the podcast about play-by-play broadcasters for play-by-play broadcasters hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster with an outro that Marshmallow doesn't know he's part of. Hit it. See ya.